Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, and I'm sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are you doing on this Monday morning? Good, good. Sort of a uh, sort of our first close call in quite a while on Saturday. So I'm still mentally and emotionally recovering. Was it worse that Alabama got up? 21 to three and you thought they were completely in control it was going to be another Miami game or, or you know Mercer game or Ohio State in the national championship it seems like Alabama does this quite often a lot more often than they allow a team to, to stay close and so for Alabama fans you don't really have to stress throughout the game but with this one if it was kind of like that old Miss game where it was kind of back and forth the entire you know all four quarters you kind of know what's coming, but, you know, getting up 21-3, you think it's about to be a blowout. You start to relax a little bit. You get to enjoy watching the game, and then all of a sudden here comes Florida storming back and almost makes a, a full-on comeback to get the W. Um, the, the big difference in the game was a missed extra point on the first touchdown, which you wouldn't think, but that's why they say you got to make those things because even though it was the first drive, later on in the game they're down by um, – you know, they, they could have kicked an extra point to tie the game up. Instead, they had to go for two. They filled that two-point conversion, and that was the difference in why Alabama was able to win. So, it, was it worse for you that they got up and then kind of blew the lead? Or, you know, did yeah. you oh, – yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, the first quarter was sort of a taste of so much of the Saban era where you go into a game uh, on the road against a ranked team, and there's a lot of reasons the game could be tight. A handful of experts even picked Florida to, to win the game and spring the upset, yet the game starts and Alabama starts annihilating the opponent. And we've seen it time and time and time again. And it's another, you know, first quarter of a joyless murder ball is what it is. And then and then uh, it turns. It, it really, to me, turned on a single play. And and that's not fair because, you know, there, there's 130 plays in the game. and and, and But, you know, it's 21 to three. They're backed up on the one yard line. If, if we make them punt from the end zone, we're getting the ball in plus territory. One touchdown short of, of, of completely, you know, ending the game, frankly, or even a field goal would have been big. But uh, they converted on a third and seven. We had a missed tackle there, one of, of many that was about to follow. And uh, I, I think that third and seven conversion uh, when they were on the three yard or four yard line, that's that to me turned the game. I mean, things never were good again after that. They, they were never good again. And and they ran the ball to the point it consumed clock. And while I think in the second half, Alabama offensively could have taken control back of the game, at least offensively, Alabama only had three possessions in the entire second half. And uh, you, you can't you can't just outscore them 
when you don't have the ball. And we didn't have the ball because we couldn't get them off the field. They, they were converting all their third downs, even on run plays. And uh, gosh, it, it was like two games. It, it was like the first quarter, joyless murder ball. And the last three quarters was the difficulty of trying to win an SEC football game on the road. For, for me, going in, um, you know, the, I knew the crowd was going to be <clears throat> a difficult aspect of the game for Alabama. I mean, you're going into the swamp. Uh, it was humid outside. It was hot outside. Um, you knew those were going to kind of factor in a little bit. But when Alabama gets up 21 to 3, you know, they were playing hype-up songs um, over the loudspeakers, and just the crowd was not into it at all. They were pretty much done. No one was standing up at any point. Um you know, cheering on their team. When they converted that third and seven, you started getting some claps, and then they drove down the field. And after a 99-yard touchdown drive um, to close the gap to 21 to nine, it's it's 12 points. And so as a fan base, as you're watching that, if you're a Florida fan, you understand, okay, we still got an uphill battle, but this is manageable. You know, this is not going to be the blowout that we thought it was going to be. And as soon as Alabama allowed the crowd to get back in it, everything got more difficult on, on them. And that's why if, you know, you're Nick Saban and you talk about follow, you know, you, you get a 44-13 blowout win against a top 15 Miami team and – you go into Mercer week and Nick Saban goes off, you know, talking about rat poison and, you know, how there are concerns and he points out the lack of intensity or maintaining intensity and focus in the second half against Miami. This is what he saw coming, you know, as a possibility if they didn't get it fixed. And it, fortunately for them, it didn't cost them a game because with these types of mistakes or the, these types of issues that kind of creep up in the past, it's cost, you know, Alabama a game. And then you got to try to recover and hopefully you're able to and still make it to the national championship or the college football playoff or whatever. Lucky for them, they're still three and oh, you know, coming into us talking on Monday. And that the, the importance of that cannot be overstated um, because, you know, that there's a lot of teams in college football. This, there's a lot more parity this season, and a lot of that has to do with the, the veteran experience that's able to return at all, on a lot of these teams because of the COVID-19 extra eligibility rule. you got a lot more returning starters and guys who have experience uh, at various places, but you're absolutely right. It just seems like that lack of, of intensity and, and focus over the course of four quarters – almost cost Alabama a football game. And, and if you're an Alabama fan, just from me being somebody watching the game, um, you know, from the press box, there was never a moment after that first quarter where I felt good about it for Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. It, it could have so easily gone the other way. Like you said, it was really the missed extra point. Uh, if they make that extra point, they only need an extra point to tie. And had that game gone to overtime, based on the fact they would have had all of the momentum for the final 45 minutes of the game. Uh, I, I wouldn't have felt good about that overtime at all. And, yep. and it really was a missed extra point. And Hey, it wasn't a fluke. They outgained Alabama about hundred yards. They murdered us on the ground, something like, I think 258 yards to 91. If you get outrushed 258 to 91, you've lost the game. I mean, it's very rare that whoever has the 91 won the game. Uh, you'd point to like, oh, it must be turnovers. Well, I think that, you know, they had one. Uh, we were just plus one in turnover. It ended up being big because if they score on that drive, then we, uh, you know, lose the game. So, yeah, it was a close, close, close call. And we were outplayed uh, for a significant 
chunk of the game. But as you say, Clint, Alabama wins. And let's not understate how big it is to be 3-0. and I counted up over the weekend, only 33 teams are 3-0. and That might sound like a lot. It's actually the fewest in college football in, in several seasons uh, after three weeks. And 33 unbeaten teams means basically 100 teams are not 3-0. and 100 teams are worse than that. So uh, it's a big deal to be 3-0. and We're going to be 4-0. I, I, after that performance, you hate to count count chickens before the eggs are all broke. But, uh, man, let me tell you, uh, Southern Miss is really, really bad. For all the Alabama fans out there thinking, oh, gosh, we're bad. Uh, no, you don't know what bad is. You forgot what bad is. Bad is what's coming to town Saturday. Uh, Southern Miss is just really bad. They were non-competitive against South Alabama in week one. And then in week three, they were a little better against Troy, but still lost uh, significantly. So uh, Southern Miss is just really bad. They have no dudes whatsoever. They're in a total rebuild with a new head coach that was bought in to rebuild the program. So they're bad. Alabama win very big and be 4-0. But then the season really starts. Uh, you know, I hate playing what I call fictional opponents, Clint. And fictional opponents means – yeah, we beat Florida, but there's no way that defense is going to beat Ole Miss. Uh, that's a fictional opponent to me. We haven't played Ole Miss. That game hasn't been played yet. We weren't playing Ole Miss on Saturday. And, and I don't assume just because Alabama played poorly stopping the run Saturday that they'll be atrocious on defense against Ole Miss. I don't assume that, but there's no question we need to work on it because uh, that Ole Miss offense is going to be a heck of a challenge. Completely agree. And we're – I think it's the combination of two things. It's seeing Alabama's defense against what is supposed to be a one-dimensional, limited Florida offense, um, which, you know, in a lot of ways they were. You know, Emory Jones was good on the short to intermediate stuff, on the on the RPOs and the quick slants. All of that, they were able to take advantage of Alabama's defense, but really pushing the ball downfield, you know, you forced them to throw the interception. They weren't great through the air, but where people were concerned is – it's an Alabama defense that, you know, when you combine what you saw on Saturday with the fact that what Ole Miss was able to do last year and you saw a lot of the same issues, unnecessary penalties, missed tackles, missed assignments, you just go ahead and assume, you know, it's it's going to be more of the same. But you're right. They can fix it. And I think they're a lot better than they showed on Saturday. Um, I think that in some ways they got rattled when Florida started making a comeback and we knew Emory Jones could cause some issues with his legs. Um, you know, we all knew that he was going to make at least one mistake or he was more than likely going to make one mistake, and he did. Um, but from there, you know, for this week with Southern Miss coming up, I think this is a huge opportunity for Alabama because, you know, following that week one game against Miami, top 15 team, everybody's singing Alabama's praises. The focus wasn't there. Um, and, and you saw it reflected when they played Mercer. And now, you know, the very next week, you see them play bad, you know, even though they got the, the the win overall for three quarters, for three-fourths of the game, they played very poorly against Florida. Um, and so, you know, if Alabama comes out flat against Southern Miss because it's Southern Miss and they don't take, you know, after what we saw last week, they don't have a wake-up call and realize, you know, we got to go to work. We got a lot to work on. You know, yeah, sure, we got Southern Miss this week, but we got Ole Miss in two weeks and we need – every day that we possibly can to get better at what we need to get better at, especially defensively, if we want to be able to hold up in that game. Um, the good news as far as Ole Miss is concerned is 
you know, Ole Miss's defense is much improved. They're not Florida's defense, in my opinion. And also, it's a home game. And I think that home crowd played a huge advantage. When they started getting back into it, the false start penalties, the offsides penalties, the delay of games. Um, I've been in some pretty big college football environments, especially for Alabama. Um, I've never heard or seen anything like that. And I kind of saw it coming before the game. Um, but really just it, it, there was something about having the the air let out of your cells if you're Florida fans getting down 21-3 and then watching your team start to come back and then you start realizing this is a possibility. We might – I mean, and, and that would have been the biggest blown lead, if I'm not mistaken, in the Nick Saban era, correct? Uh, yes. Uh, the only thing similar, uh, Clint, was the uh, – <laughs> I hate bringing the game up, but the, uh, the comeback, the 2010 game yeah. against all – uh, I think Alabama was up 24-3 uh, in that game before blowing that lead. But, uh, it, yeah, that that would have been the game to compare it to. And Emory Jones is no Cam Newton. Like you pointed out, that's that's almost the most disappointing part in this is that what Florida did to get back into the game had to have been the thing Alabama worked on the most in, in, in leading up to it. It's not like Florida shocked us by going – shotgun and four and five wides and chunking it all over the place. Now that would have caught us off guard. Uh, but Emory Jones did what Emory Jones does. And, uh, and we couldn't really stop it on the ground. Anyway, he didn't have a great game through the air. He had an okay game through the air uh, and, and give the kids some credit. Let's not act like he's Nick Marshall uh, in terms of, you know, he can throw the football. He was recruited by schools that throw the football, including Alabama. Uh, this was a, highly recruited athlete and he's a high level sec athlete uh he's a good player and 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 he proved it against alabama i'm glad that freshman didn't play anthony richardson who had impressed the heck out of me the first three weeks if we had that much trouble with emory jones i I shudder to think what anthony richardson might have done but there i am playing a fictional opponent again uh emory jones who we played and had a hard enough time with him but uh, alabama did win the game and we can't forget the good things. There's a lot of good in that game, getting off to the lead, Bryce being so incredibly poised uh, in an impossible environment to remain poised in. Brian Robinson, I don't think, is getting enough credit. Uh, Brian is absolutely playing, you know, really well. And, man, he got some tough yards uh, repeatedly uh, in that game. Uh, when Alabama, when it was third and two and Alabama needed two yards, uh, Brian got it like every time uh, I remember on the, on the fourth down play uh, discussing, you know, what play was, was going to come in. I'm like, Hey, fourth and one, I think Brian Robinson might be as good as any running back in the country. Uh, he is tough. And uh, I thought he played really well. And, you know, the receivers didn't have the greatest game in the world, but Mechie made a player too. Jameson Williams made a player too. Billingsley out of the doghouse and into the end zone uh, with a really good play. Uh, and Alabama made some plays on defense. Uh, they weren't all, bad the whole 60 minutes there were, there was a player or two I, I think t- later today the staff will name players of the week and believe it or not there will probably be a defensive player named staff player of the week though I won't be shocked if there's not well I, you know first of all um you know with Emory Jones yeah I thought he played a pretty good game especially at the recovery after that interception uh, if you would have told me going in that Florida was not going to play Anthony Richardson I would have said Alabama was going to blow him out. 
he was the X factor in my opinion, because you get some good plays from Emory Jones, but you also get those mistakes. And I just thought that this was, even though it's Alabama, I thought this could, you know, act as the transition game as far as going from Emory Jones to Anthony Richardson, letting him have that moment. He was probably going to make, you know, some, some young player mistakes as well. But I just thought that, you know, I thought he was the X factor for Florida if they wanted to stay in the game. And, and he didn't play at all, and yet they, you know, stormed back and almost got a victory. And, and I'll give, like I said, the crowd played a huge part in that, and, and I want to reiterate that. I, you know, I, to be quite honest with you, speaking candidly, I still am not sure that Florida's a top-10 team. You know, you get away from that environment, a historically good environment. Um, you get away from, you know, it's Alabama. They have a target on their backs, and that game could have gone a lot differently. I feel like in a lot of ways, Alabama had some self-inflicted stuff when they were up 21-3. If they continue to have their foot on the gas and they continue to have their, their intensity and their focus, that game could have continued to get lopsided and, and carried away. Um, you've got to give Florida a ton of credit for making that comeback but you know Georgia they won't have that home crowd they'll have a great crowd uh, because it's a neutral site but they won't have um, you know the the strong you know crowd in the swamp you're not going to the momentum will certainly be there as far or the want to as far as beating Georgia Um, but you know we'll kind of just have to wait and see this is not me trying to knock Florida I give them a ton of credit Um, it's just everybody keeps saying if they get Alabama again they're going to beat them, you know, and they keep seeing this transition. And the bottom line is, is the game last year in the SEC championship could have been a lot more lopsided than it ended up being. Um, But Alabama kind of did some similar things and made some mistakes and allowed it to stay close. And, you know, we saw a a couple of years ago when Georgia played Auburn and then three weeks later had to play them again. You know, they completely wiped the floor with Georgia in that first matchup. And everybody just assumed Auburn's going to win this SEC championship as well. Um, and maybe, you know, we'll be talking about a two-loss Auburn team making it to the college football playoff. And then Georgia, you know, it was like 28-7 to seven or something. They completely destroyed Auburn. You know, it was the exact opposite way. Um, so just because it works out in a certain instance, um, you know, it doesn't mean automatically, oh, you know, because what you've done, if Alabama plays Florida again in the SEC championship, you've put Emory Jones on tape, you know, and then granted you put Bryce Young on tape too, but – Alabama, as far as making adjustments, which they're typically pretty good at, you've given them an entire season to make those adjustments. And especially, you know, that second time around having what Florida did well, and you're not going to have that. The momentum swing was huge because of that crowd. You know, it would have been a momentum swing anyways, but having the crowd at your back and just getting the the fans into it, I mean, that makes a huge difference. And it's why it's so important to have full capacity stadiums and the, and how, you know, home field advantage can play to your advantage uh, you know, not only in college football, but in, in any sport that you play. I'm starting looking at some of these individual performances. Defensively, you you pointed out that there were some good in there, and you're 100% right. I thought Drew Sanders played pretty well. As far as being a pass rusher, I, I still – he had some good pass rushing moments against Florida. You know, one particular pass – or uh, rep in particular, I think he was the one that forced – the, the Emory Jones interception, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't gone back and watched, but we'll do that later today and we'll be able to confirm or, you know, whatever. But, you know, in coverage, stopping the run, he wasn't perfect against the run. Nobody on Alabama's defense was. Uh, so we missed some assignments, but I think he continues to show, uh, you know, encouraging improvement 
if you're an Alabama fan and, and you're still worried about Christopher Allen, I think for Darian Mathis, I would be shocked if he was not one of the players of the game um, for this Alabama coaching staff. If there was one defensive player that I had to choose, it would be Fedarian Mathis, number one, and it would be uh, Drew Sanders, number two. And maybe, you know, limited reps. I think he only played roughly about 20 um, snaps over the course of the game. But I thought Byron Young played pretty well, too, when he got in there. Um, I just don't know if that's enough to get player of the game status or not. But Fedarian Mathis, whether it be against the run, you know, three consecutive games with a sack. Um, I mean, he's been the interior presence that they needed. I don't think he's a dominant pass rusher. I just think he's a lot more advanced and better than than we gave him credit for going in in that area, myself included. And so it's been encouraging to see that. And Will Anderson's playing through a knee injury. Um, and, and I thought that he played pretty well. Uh, I don't think he played perfect, but he was an impactful presence. You could tell that he gave Florida some issues um, at times, both, you know, getting after the quarterback and stopping the run. So I would say that probably from a defensive standpoint, there's not much else that I'm going to be able to point out defensively and say, I think that guy played well. I don't think Henry Toto played well. I don't think Christian Harris, you know, there were some moments for him, but I don't think he played great. Um, you know, on the back half of the defense, Josh Job, the pass interference calls, um, you know, Jalen Armour Davis, good things, but I, I just I, I'm not overly confident in in naming anybody else and saying at least not right now. Maybe I go back and watch the tape and I say, oh man, you know, he actually ended up playing a lot better than I thought. Or there's a guy that that stands out. I thought Tib Smith played okay, um, but not enough to really say he played wonderful. Um, but for defensively, that's kind of where I'm looking at things. For you, where the, was there? Is there anything else that you like to add? I like how. Uh... You know, we obviously went to some sort of a, uh, 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 I don't know, what a situational defense at the very end. Where we're just kind of defending against the Hail Mary, uh, which is interesting. As you know, we're not, not Alabama's not used to getting a, a lot of reps on that play in game situations. They practice it every now and then. But uh, that was uh, unique. And, and, and of all players, uh, for him to be on the first team on the uh, – Hail Mary prevention unit, uh, Jalen Moody made a heck of a play at the end, tackling uh, yes, Jones one-on-one in the middle of the field, uh, something that number 10 and number eight uh, failed to do repeatedly uh, during the game. I thought that was interesting. But, uh, you know, it's, it's sort, sort of on, on topic, Clinton. You made an, a very interesting tweet about that Florida could still finish third in the East, which I agree totally. And that's really how good is this Florida team is this legitimately one of the 10 best teams in the country? Did we catch them on a day where they played as well as they'll play all year? It's too early to really know that, but the way I see Florida, and apparently you from your tweet see it the same way, I think Florida is a team capable of beating Georgia in the neutral site game in Jacksonville. I'm not predicting they will. Let's wait till the game gets closer. But I think Florida is capable of beating Georgia and also equally capable of not beating Kentucky. I mean, I can see them losing to Georgia and Kentucky and finishing third or even struggling with Missouri. I could also see them beating Georgia and beating Kentucky and seeing Alabama again in Atlanta. I think they're capable of that as well. But to me, they're going to be really good or not so good week to week and, and a team that could, like you said, lose to Kentucky. But uh, Georgia better come to play in that game because they can beat anyone. 
Well, and, and see, that's where I'm at. I mean, people act like if you see a team perform a certain way on a given Saturday, which you can find specific examples as to why that could have occurred. You know, having that home crowd, the fact that you played Alabama close last year, they, you know, they, I wouldn't say they necessarily kept them out of the playoff, but they had a lot better shot of getting in the playoff if they win that SEC championship game. Um, you had just lost to LSU, so who knows what would have happened with that. I doubt they, they get in. But the point being – um, you know, there was a lot of extra Alabama is the standard it, Alabama, you know, in most cases is going to get everybody's best game. They're the ones with the target on their back. And to, to say that Florida, because they played this well against Alabama, this is just the standard, you know, this is how they're going to perform every week. Yeah. If you get this particular level of intensity and performance each and every week, Florida is a top 10 team. They're certainly going to, you know, not only, be second in the SEC East, they might win the SEC East, and they might win in a rematch against Alabama. I'm not convinced that because you got it on one particular Saturday, the first game back in the swamp that matters in front of a full-capacity stadium. I mean, imagine what Bryant – because Bryant Denny's going to have Mercer. It's going to have Southern Miss. But you welcome in Ole Miss, who played Alabama close last year, and you're talking about the Lane Kiffin factor, and you're talking about it being the first important home game, getting you know Dixie Land Delight going, getting that crowd going. It's it's a it's a different environment because everybody's just itching to have that huge home game, and this was Florida's home game. And so if you can guarantee me that they're going to play this well every week, sure, I'm not convinced that they're going to. You've seen plenty of teams get up for a certain team, have a fantastic performance, maybe get a huge win. And then they have a complete letdown. It's like they're a completely different team. And that includes Florida. We've seen that from Florida in the past. So, I mean, they lost four games last year. And I also saw a bunch of Florida fans. I mean, I was listening to the uh, the radio in Gainesville as I was heading out from the game. They were all calling in and saying, you know, how thrilled they were with Florida for, for keeping it close and moral victory. And, and you get the line, you know, oh, you never want to accept moral victories, but we're certainly going to accept this moral victory, you know. And, and I'm fine with that because it's exciting and I get it. But, to, you know, I see people saying that they've closed the gap with Alabama's program. Where is that reflected outside of this one game? And if you want to go look back to the Alabama game last year in the SEC championship, that's fine too. So if you want to say, come, you know, Compared to Alabama, Gus Malzahn won, uh, you know, quite a bit against Alabama. I mean, it was kind of a 50-50 toss-up in a lot of situations um, as to what was it going to be Alabama, was it going to be Auburn? But to, do you think those two programs were close? No. When you look at the recruiting for Dan Mullen in Florida, I don't think they've made any sort of substantial improvement. In fact, they made some improvement and then took a step back this past year. You look record-wise, they start off 10 and uh, – 10 and three, I think. Then they go to 11 and two the second year. Now they've, last year they, they took a step back and went to eight and four. So from a record standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, I don't think those two programs have, 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 you know, you know, closed in. And this is not me, you know, I'm not mad about it, but it's just, I think it's kind of some false narratives going on based off of them keeping a football game that's at home in front of a very important home crowd. Um, you know, them, them keeping that game close has a lot of false narratives running around. And I just, Kind of want to write that ship a little bit. Anyways, I knew I was going to go off on that tangent at some point. As far as the penalties are, are concerned, this is a major concern for Alabama. Uh, when, you, when you look at going into the game, they had 17 on the season. They had 11. Now, what I don't want to do, and I've seen it from a lot of Alabama fans, and you need to make sure you're checking yourself on this, is they're using that 11 penalties to Florida's seven penalties as a reason to say there's no bias towards Alabama. 
I'm not saying there is bias towards Alabama. I'm just saying don't use that argument because of the 11 penalties, seven of them are no judgment call whatsoever. They're false starts. They're offsides. They're delay of games. And, you know, there's no judgment call here. Uh, It is what it is. Alabama false starts. Alabama jumps offsides. Alabama, you know, the, the, the play clock ran out before they were able to get the snap off. So, you know, there was four penalties from a holding. That's a judgment call. From a pass interference, that's a judgment call. Um, that went against Alabama in this particular game. That's still quite a bit, and it's actually very similar to Florida. Florida had seven, and I want to say maybe two or three of those were judgment calls. They had a false start. Um, I'm trying. They had a, a legal substitution, um, but you know they had some pass interferences as well. They had a holding that called something back, but so it was actually pretty even. So you can say, hey, when you look at it that way. It, it, there's no bias showing, but you can't – don't say, oh, Alabama had four more than Florida, which proves the opposite. No, I mean, it, a lot of those were things that you can't rule on. But um, what is the issue with these penalties, and do you think Alabama can get them fixed moving forward? Because if they don't, I guarantee you, it almost cost Alabama in this game. It's going to cost them later on in the season at some point. No, no doubt in a close game, having too many penalties. You know, I, I guess it's just indicative overall of maybe – a lack of focus, which Coach Saban has already gone to the podium famously or the lectern, whatever the hell it is, and, and, and complained uh, that this team uh, has not been focused uh, all the time uh, on, on the practice field. And a team that lacks focus and lacks discipline uh, will commit a lot of penalties. Uh, so it, it's, it's almost 30 penalties in three games. Uh, that's pretty outrageous. So, you know, you can't blame – the officials, that's just wasting uh, breath. Uh, like you said, I mean, I, I never believe in, in referee bias. I mean, I, I just never believe that exists. What I do believe exists is referee incompetence. I know that exists in the same way that, that offensive players fumble the ball and defensive players miss tackles. There's a lot of incompetence on the field or mistakes made on the field if both teams – are going to be out there making some mistakes. It's only fair to assume the referees will as well. The game moves incredibly fast, and uh, it's a hard thing to do, officiate a football game played at that speed that SEC football is played at. So I never, ever, ever, ever believe there is some sort of bias either for or against Alabama. What I believe is officials blow it, and when they blow it, flip a coin in the air. If they blow it 50-50, it goes against your team. I mean, that's just – just common logic. So in state punted on third down. I, yes. I mean, you know, like that's incompetence. That's okay. not them. Hey, let's see if we can sneak one by people and, and give Auburn yeah. an advantage. That's pure incompetence. That's not the way that you would go. If you were trying to give Auburn an advantage, that should tell you everything you need to know about referees and the mistakes that they can make like everybody else. That's the, the proof that it, it's not biased because they would never get together as a group and decide, hey, this is, this is what we're going to do to make sure, you know, our Auburn wins. We're going to make Penn State punt on third down. Uh, now, I, I never believe in bias, but I do believe in incompetence because there's mistakes made all over the field. It's not it's, – it's ridiculous to assume officials don't make mistakes. They even make mistakes in the NFL. Those are the best football officials in the entire planet, uh, and they make mistakes. So uh, – but regardless of that – we need to – the numbers say Alabama plays undisciplined and unfocused football at times, and it has to be fixed. It's September. September's the month for finding out what you are and who you are and fixing it. What I think is really interesting this week as we wrap it up, Clint, what I think is really interesting this week uh, is 
what I'm looking for against Southern Miss, and I'm not demanding any because as a fan, we can't make demands anyway. <laughs> but what I'm looking for is will there be personnel changes against Southern Miss? Did Nick Saban and his staff believe after watching the tape that some of the issues Alabama is having, maybe they can be addressed by some changes in the lineup? I'm not going to necessarily predict it, uh, but I'm looking for it because I think there may be uh, not wholesale, uh, probably just two or three at the most, but uh, maybe there'll be some lineup changes Saturday. Look, I'm not saying that I'm ready to completely discount Slade Bolden because I'm not. I still think he's an important part of the offense. The, the drop was bad, and it's got a lot of Alabama fans down on him. He made some mistakes last year that had Alabama fans down on him throughout the offseason. This is not uh, anything towards Slade. It's more towards JoJo Earl. I think you have to get him more than two targets and one catch in the football game like this. You know, when that right. one 18-yard catch, um, you know, I thought was it was, an eight, it was a, a very, you know, it moved the chains. It was kind of a momentum shift. Alabama was able to start getting the ball rolling a little bit on that drive, and they'd already been doing some good things. I'm not saying that. It's just that was kind of the big pop play, and it came really late in the game, and I just felt like, you know, when, when he made that catch, I realized I don't think he's caught a single ball today. And, and at the time, I, I wasn't sure if he had even seen a target, and he had, which he didn't catch. But I think you have to get him more involved. I don't know if that's at the expense of Slade Bolden, um, or if it's just in a rotational role and you just make sure that you get him some scripted touches um, or some scripted plays at some point earlier in the game because he's the one, he's the momentum changer. He's the Jalen Waddle turn, you know, a quick slant into, you know, a 70-yard touchdown or the quick slant. He makes a couple of guys miss and he turns what should be a seven or eight-yard game, maybe a first down into a 20 or 30-yard game. Um, so that's one of the changes that I would look at is getting him more involved. Uh, looking at some of the personnel stuff, just go, you know, look throughout the offensive line was not great whatsoever. Um, I thought they got a little bit better as far as getting a push in the run game, but mostly any success that Jace McClellan and Brian Robinson Jr. had on Saturday was the result of them running extremely hard. You know, Evan Neal played pretty well. Uh, you know, Javion Cohen from a pass protection standpoint, he was good, but he was not good as far as run blocking. Don't th think uh, Dalcourt played great. Don't think Ikior played great, I mean, especially with those penalties when you add those in. Chris Owens, you know, seasoned guy, loved the versatility and what he can provide from a depth standpoint, but he continues to be the weak link of the, weak link of the offensive line. And he was the worst offensive lineman consistently, in my opinion, on Saturday. Um, so he's either got to improve or they need to look at maybe making a change. J.C. Latham, Damian George, however they want to go about it, that's up to them. Um, you know, encouraging stuff. Bryce Young under pressure. Um, you know, he took some big hits, first of all. I want to bring that up first. He took some big hits at 194 pounds. He got popped, and he continued to come back. It didn't seem to phase him. I thought that was pretty big. Um, I thought he was fantastic under pressure, especially early. That was not able to maintain as far as his production or um, his consistency over the course of four quarters. But a lot of that had to do with what was, you know, when you're under constant pressure, when you have no uh, complimentary run game to take pressure off of you, that's going to affect your performance. It's in a tough environment. Um, he's still he, first road start, all those things. So, um, the, the one thing that I would say that he needs to improve is deciding when to run. He probably would have taken a hit going into the end zone on that second and goal, 
play, but he's 100% scoring. There, there's not a doubt in my mind that he's scoring. It's just a matter of does he get in there before he gets popped or does he get popped? And, and I get that, you know, probably with as reluctant as he's been, that's coaching. That's the coaching staff saying don't suscept yourself to big hits. Try to limit those as, as much as possible. But it's like I said, you know, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, these are the types of games where you got to you risk it. Um, the game's close. You're, you're needing touchdowns. That's a four-point swing. That's four extra points that Alabama could have added to the scoreboard that they didn't. And so you got to put it on the line and go get yourself a touchdown and give Alabama, um, you know, put six on the six points on the board. And when you got when you got Will Reichard, more than likely it's going to be seven. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on the offense because I know we didn't talk about it a lot. I thought you know the, the receivers are kind of struggling a little bit um, to get separation consistently against Florida with. Kyir Elam um, and those guys, you know, their perimeter corners, they're sticky, they're effective. That's not a huge surprise. It's just you would like to see them get separation consistently a little bit more. Uh, fantastic to see, to, to see Jalil Billingsley get out of the doghouse. He got involved in the first drive of the game, continues to, to be involved throughout the game. They had a lot of two tight end sets going, and he caught that touchdown pass, and I thought that was fantastic as well. So I've got to give him a lot of credit. Um, so that's pretty much all I got for the offense. Is there anything from an offensive standpoint that you want to address before we get out of here? Maybe Bill O'Brien. You know, I, I saw some people criticizing him for that second quarter play calling, uh, which to some degree I actually agree with. I think he was, you know, there were some mistakes made, but anything else that you want to add before we hop off? Uh, just about the Bill O'Brien uh, thing. Uh, I, I do think that Coach Saban and the whole staff needs to take a look at those three three and outs in the second quarter and come up with their best explanation. Uh, they don't have to share it with us, uh, but but they need to come up with an explanation for it in terms of, okay, well, how, how in the world? Because see, I don't think, it's not fair to compare this group to last year's group. That's not only unfair to Alabama. I mean, last year's group may have been the best offense in the history of college football. So if that's the measuring stick, uh, that that's just not even logical. Um, but last year's group, I am certain without even looking it up, never went three and out three series in a row, never <laughs> over the course of the season. Uh, so why did it happen? Uh, it, do you credit Florida? And you made a great point about receivers not, not getting separation and that being an issue. Um, I agree. But at the same time, I wonder if there's a bit of an overreaction because we forget, you know, that the other team is good too. Kyir Elam is probably a first round pick. And for all we know that, tape from that game, Elam and his agent, and, and yeah, they, they all already have agents, <laughs> is sending it to 32 NFL front offices this week going, look what my guy did against Alabama. Yeah. Uh, he's around pick. So gaining separation is one thing. Uh, consistently beating a first-round pick is something else. I mean, you know, we got some some hot draft choices too, uh, and, and they win their matchups. Evan Neal won his matchup a bunch this weekend, I bet. Uh, that means Elam probably won a bunch of his matchups. Uh, and, and I think so. I, I'm not going to jump off the cliff just yet on that issue. I want to see more. And as for Bill O'Brien and the play calling, uh, you know, you execute the play, it probably works. But I'm interested uh, to know or see uh, what Alabama and Nick Saban's uh, answer is to, boy, why do we go three and out there? I mean, that's nine consecutive plays without a first down. Uh, what the heck? And they need to figure that out maybe adjust the play calling 
uh, I, I think what they're going to find, Clint, I, I don't know, and I haven't gone back to watch those nine plays again, but I think we're going to find is on those nine plays, we had too many offensive linemen blocking the wrong guy or getting beat. Yep, I completely agree. All right, well, this has been a lot of fun. It always is. Um, there was some stuff that I needed to get off my chest, and I was able to, to come here and, and share it with you and share it with the listeners. So I appreciate you hopping on here with me. Um, you know, we're going to – I'm starting this – uh, Bama on three show is going to be called the daily 10 and it's going to be a 10 minute podcast every day or 10 minute show where I just, you know, go over the news from the previous day. So be on the lookout for that. It's going to be a lot of fun on the way to work. We're going to try to have it out to where every morning when you're going to work, you can take 10 minutes of your time listening and you can be caught up with all the latest news and happenings regarding Alabama football. So be on the lookout for that. If you haven't already, go sign up for On3 Plus right now, $10 for the entire first year. You're not going to beat that deal. And also go like and subscribe and share and follow and whatever it is else that you need to do as far as the podcast or the show is concerned on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. And let's continue to get this thing going. Jimmy, uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. This has been the Bama On3 Show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.